Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3PNR. I'm your host, Adam R. And joining me in the studio today, Jim Wittenberger. Jim, how you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Glad to have you here. You got a, an extraordinary story. Um, I was just talking to Jim uh, pre-podcast. Uh, Jim is an experiencer, uh, part of the abduction series I'm doing. Um, he, Jim, you have a, a documentary coming out somewhere in the soon, somewhere soon anyway. Yes, should be totally done and being on the air hopefully soon uh four to six months and it's called alien experiencers and sharon comorn is the co-producer and bob tulier is the producer and uh they only got to add the credits so it's 99.5 percent done and it's called alien experiencers and should be on tv i'm not for sure where in the next four to six months Gotcha. Now, I got lucky. I met Jim through a, uh, he lives here in Dunedin, Florida with me. Uh, I met him through a friend, Bobby Parks, uh, who's a chef, uh, and he's an okay pool player. <laughs> he's actually really good. I'm going to, I'm going to give him proper credit. So Jim, let's start with this. Let's start. Uh, you're four years old when this begins for you, right? Yes. Four years old. Okay. Tell me a bit about it and, uh, start from prior to the experience that what led up to it. Okay, well, what what led up to it? Now, I was born in 1955 in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, so I was born in 55, Dayton, Ohio. And when I was three years old, we moved to Fairborn, Ohio from Dayton. And we moved into a little area called Hebel Homes, which was right off of Broad Street, which was only 200 feet east of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I could look out my door, and to the right, I could see the fence to the base. And when I was four years old, living in Hebel Homes, now Hebel Homes used to be barracks for people who worked at Wright Pat. And uh, then they built new structures on the base on Wright Pat. Everybody moved out of the little area called Hebel Homes, and they moved to the base. So they made Hebel Homes a low housing project. And uh, that's where I lived. And uh, when I was four years old, my whole experience started when I was standing in the kitchen with my mother, and she was making coffee, and our lights flickered. And my mom said, huh, I wonder what that was. Well, the lights came back on, and a moment later, they flickered again. And, you know, she had no idea what was wrong with the electric. Well, only a moment went by. All of a sudden, somebody's pounding at the door. She opens up the door, and it's a Fairborn police officer. And he says, ma'am, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here now. And my mom said, good Lord, what's going on? He said, come on, you got to go. Is it just you and the kid? And she said, yeah. And she went to grab her cigarettes and her purse, and he said, no, come on. You ain't got time for that. And I think my mom got her cigarettes and purse anyway. And we headed out the door, and we step onto our porch, step off of our porch, and he's trying to guide us and saying, go this way, go this way. So we start going that way, and we take about maybe 10 or 12 steps, and all of a sudden, a bright light caught our attention behind us and to the right. 
So, of course, we stop walking and we turn to see what the light is. And this is in Hebel Homes, 200 feet from the base. I mean, practically in the base yard. <laughs> you know? Right. Gonna, so they're aware. They're, they're, by them coming to your door means that they're aware of some sort of activity in the area. Yes. Well, the Fairburn police officer seen the saucer moving. Or else he's seen it sitting still already above our house. But I think he's seen it moving, and he followed it there. He's seen it stop is what I'm thinking, and he, you know, got on his radio and no doubt called it in before he knocked on our door. You know, he's in his patrol car looking up in the sky and sees this thing. And uh, and I know this because of what happened too quickly. Uh, So we see this bright light, and we turn around to look. And the Fairborn cops standing right there with us, me, my mom, and one Fairborn police officer. And we turn to look at the light, and there's a reptilian lizard man about 10 feet from the ground coming down out of the blue beam of light onto the ground. And it gets to the ground, and it steps out of the beam of light, and it turns and looks right directly at me, my mom, and the Fairborn police officer. And the police officer pushed my mom, told her to run. Well, my mom couldn't run. She couldn't move. Her legs froze up on her, and she urinated herself. Now, I just stood there looking at it because I'm only four years old, and I wasn't old enough to know I should be scared. You know, I was was wondering, who are you and where would you come from? I started looking for a beanstalk. You know, I thought it come down a beanstalk because uh, I'm just looking at the light. I didn't look further up to see that the saucer was right above our heads, which it was 40 feet. And uh, so this police officer, he pushed my mom, pushed her to the ground. She pulled me to the ground. She couldn't move. He got his gun out. He fired it in the air one time. And the neighbor guy come out. And he goes to step off his porch to ask the cop what's going on. And before he could even ask the police what's going on, he seen the lizard man. And he jumped backwards up trying to get back up on his porch. He about broke his ankle doing it. It scared the crap out of him. And uh, so he gets back up on his porch. Cops stand there with his gun out, already fired it in the air. Me and my mom's on the ground. He tells the neighbor guy, help this woman, help this kid, get him out of here. So the guy gets down off the porch, grabs me and my mom. Well, he's pulling on my mom. My mom can't even move her legs, so he's dragging my mom. We're within 25 foot, 25 feet of this creature, you know? Right. I could see all five of his fingers. I could see his face real good and everything. I couldn't see his fingernails or his eye, the pupils, but I could see his eyes. That's how close I was. I could see every bit of him. I didn't see no clothes on him. I was only four, but I just was looking at his face, his arms, his hands, and everything that was everything was bumpy on him. And what year is this? You're four years old, you said, right? Yeah, 1960. 1960. Now, this yes. is post-Roswell. Uh, this is post-atomic uh, energy. So, right, Pat, is the, that is the base for intelligence, right? We use that for intelligence, really. That's a, uh, our, we gather intelligence there. We launch our campaigns through it. And yeah, then we, we yeah. deploy through, at that time, we deployed through McDill here in Florida. So... They would have sophisticated, and you know, if we're if we're speaking in terms of post Roswell, that's essentially where they sent the craft to for for retro engineering. Yes, allegedly, anyway, the Foreign Technology Division, right at Wright Pat, right. Yeah, that's where you know Project Blue Book was. 
That's where J. Allen Hynek was for years and right. years. Wright Pat was Central Command during the Vietnam War. You know, I, I lived there. I heard jets taking off all day long, B-52 bombers coming in, landing. I seen them. Right. You know, we didn't have to pay for no air show. It was right out our back door. Right. You touch and goes a lot of their all day, yeah. all day long here in Sonic Booms. And uh, so, yeah, we. Uh, so back to the, the So the, the cop pushes your mom to the ground. Uh, you know, it's obviously commotion. A lot of it's pandemonium. Right. Yeah. You guys are scared. There's yeah, an entity. There. Yeah. We're the only ones there, though. Me, my mom, the police officer and the neighbor guy. Right. And the reptilian. And then. As we're getting off the ground, you hear the woman in the house behind us. And I'm talking little barrack-type houses. They're real small little square houses. Didn't even have much of a yard. You know, a little sidewalk running in between the two houses. And she lived on the backside of the one behind us. So she's still only 35, 40 feet away Right, her, her door. We couldn't see her. Same to the mic. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. We, we couldn't see her, but we could hear her. And she's throwing pots and pans at it hollering it's the devil it's the devil yeah. why isn't anybody helping me and it did it looked like the devil but i didn't see no horns but uh so we're getting up off the ground you hear this woman throwing pots and pans and when i get finally get up on, on my feet i look up and i see the flying saucer sitting right above our heads right and it looked like it was probably 42 to 45 foot wide. It was a little bit bigger than the ones I had seen later on in 66. Right. I, I just, so Jim shared with me a small clip from the, uh, the documentary. Um, and in that it has a, a, a digital remake of what took place. And by, from the, the, how high it was on the ground and the neighbors and the reaction to it, um, yeah, I would say it would be a frightening experience. So as a four-year-old, that's imprinted forever, right? That's that's tattooed in your memories. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this reptilian. They, so we get up and we start moving. I look up. I see the flying saucer right above my head. And as we're moving away, I look back one more time, and I see the reptilian running up onto the neighbor's porch. And that's when I seen its tail. Its tail reached the ground all the way. And then about two foot past that, I mean, it had a tail went all the way to the ground. And, uh, so we get up and we, uh, start headed out of the area and the police officer, he's still back there, but me and my mom, the neighbor guy, the neighbor guy had to pick me up and carry me. My mom wasn't able to, this is 1960, a long time ago, but just imagine what goes on these days or in between all this. And, uh, so we start going, and we get about 40 feet. We get on Broad Street, which is the main road. And we start walking up Broad Street, and all of a sudden, here comes blue Air Force cars, big Army trucks with canvas-covered trucks with four men sitting in the front, all of them holding some kind of rifles, uh, black cars with tinted windows behind them. There were Jeeps with machine guns on them. I seen one Jeep had a big light on the back of it. And the army men started jumping out of the back of these canvas-covered trucks right on Broad Street. I mean, we didn't get, you know, from the time the reptilian landed on the ground, I'm talking, what, maybe a minute? Right. Here comes the Air Force. So I know that the police officer had to have radioed in the siding, and when they was monitoring the police band wave, 
the base. Right. They Because, you know, Fairborn's right there. Well, also keep in mind, there's a strong chance that potentially someone down the street seeing this, they, they call the police, and they, they so they monitor the, the incoming outgoing calls there as well. Exactly. You know, you're right next to uh, right Pat. Right. And uh, let's forget to separate aliens. A lot of our technologies there, a lot of our, our, our military aircraft are there. So they would okay. want to make sure that the surrounding areas have potential spies there as well. You know, you're talking the era right when the Cold War started to really right. brew. So, right, yeah, dangerous times. Yeah, so they were definitely conscious about whoever's surrounding them at that era. Yes, and they didn't like anybody seeing the stuff I seen either. But uh, we started going up Broad Street. All these jeeps are passing us, army men jumping out, and they're uh, separating themselves. And they're saying, keep going, keep going. And I look in front, and I only see a couple people in front of us. And I turn and look behind us, and there's about 20 people lined up coming up the sidewalk because they're evacuating the Hebel Homes area in that area, probably half of it. They probably took other people to other stores. But they uh, walked us about a half a mile, put us all in the IGA grocery store, which was closed. They had to call whoever the manager was. They come with the key, opened it up, put us in there. We was in there for three hours. The second hour, we heard machine gun fire. Mm. One of the men in there, I was only four, but I was looking out the window. I seen all these generals, men in black, come in the store. Uh, you know, and some people was wanting to leave, and the military would not let them leave the store. And the second hour, we heard machine gun fire. We was up there another, uh, oh, some man jumped down off the bags of rock salt, and he goes, you know what that is? That's machine gun fire. And that scared a lot of people. And about an hour later, they come up to the store. Well, they was already out there. And uh, they come in the store and told us, okay, we're going to take you all back home. That was just one of our test drones that steered off course. Everything's okay. You know, they was trying to cover it up. You know, I ain't for sure exactly what words they used, but it was something like that. And so we all go back home. And uh, they wanted told my mom, we'll go on in. Well, my mom wouldn't go in because our lights are out and we don't know where the thing is, you know, the creature. Right. So finally, an army man went in, you know, he shined a flashlight and went in and searched the place. And then we went in. And then uh, two days later, we had a visit from an OSI agent, a right. man, man in black from the base, right, Pat? He come by, knocked on the door. My mom thought he was a salesman, but he wasn't. And he said, well, just let me come in. I, I just want to come in for a minute and talk to you. And I was four, but I was paying attention. And this was two days after all this had happened in 1960. And he come in, and he started uh, telling my mom about the economy and the way things would fall. And, you know, just because. Well, in, in a sense of, like, the, it could be manipulated? The economy. Yeah, he. Well, this is, you know, I was just kidding. This is how he started out the conversation with my mom, talking about the economy, the money system, the way things would fall, and talking about, you know, if there's one bad apple on the tree, we got to remove it because we can't let one bad apple ruin the whole tree. Right. And my mom said, well, who are you? Why are you here? Why are you talking to me about the economy? And he told my mom, well, I was sent here to exterminate. And my mom said, now check this out. My mom, she's from Kentucky. My mom goes, well, 
should I cover up my dishes and, you know, <laughs> stuff like this? Because she thought he was there to spray for bugs when he told her he was there to exterminate her. He actually huh. told her that. So, But my mom didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Right. And so finally he goes, ma'am, you don't seem to understand. I was here to, sent here to exterminate you. My mom jumped up, grabbed the phone. He ripped it out of her hands, grabbed her, tossed her onto the couch, told her, you just sit down, lady. You just sit down. And then he made my mom get on the floor on her knees, told her to shut her eyes and pray. And she had me come over by her and told me to shut my eyes. And I was standing up, though, but she was on her knees praying. And, uh, you know, she thought she was going to die right then, you know. And, uh, and this ain't no crap. So, I mean, was it a tactic for, like, it sounds like fear-mongering, right? Because a lot of people in the government, military, uh, there's some people out there, their job is uh, to put out misinformation, yeah. right? Or to scare people. Yeah. Um, and then a large part is it, it's it's more or less putting you in a position where you don't speak about something. Right. Uh, but what I'm hearing is... This guy comes here as, well, you thought he was a salesperson. Did he ever, and he said something about exterminating. Yeah. I, I think that's a fear factor they were trying to drive. Yeah. Well, you're going to find out in a second. It was more than that. But, uh, so, you know, he's got my mom on the floor on her knees praying. I hear her praying and I'm standing beside her and he must've pulled his gun out, put it to her head probably. And then the next thing I hear him say i can't do this i i i just can't do this go ahead open your eyes go ahead open your eyes so i guess my mom opened her eyes then i did too he goes i, I just can't do this i can't do this they're not going to like this but i can't do this and he goes after all it's not your fault you've seen it and uh he left and uh you know he let us live but he told my mom he said, I don't want to see you peek out the window. You better not come outside. You better not walk out that door for at least a week. I can't let no one see you. And he left. You know, there's a guy coming on this show uh, in the future, and his job, I won't say his name yet, his job was to do things like that, like cause fear in people. It, you got to understand, these people are tra trained to be psychological people. It's psychological warfare. Right. And in your, in, for your case, now you're considering you're in a town, cops are involved, neighbors, everyone knows you had this experience. Oh, yeah. They can't just wipe you out. Because if they do that, it'll raise question marks. You know, it, your case would be much larger than what it already is. Right. Um, it sounds to me like they put, they try to put fear in you, play like a little psych psychological warfare. Yeah. Well, he was sent there to kill us. And I know that for a fact. Uh, now, he come to our house, and the next morning, I get up early. I go look out the kitchen window, and I ain't got nothing to do. I'm just a four-year-old kid, and I'm looking out the window. My mom's still in bed, and I'm looking out the window, and I see this man in a suit knocking at the door next door to us, the neighbor guy. Right. The same guy who helped my mom up off the ground and picked me up and carried me. And he's seen it. And I see this man in a suit go to the door. He didn't see me. I was watching him. He didn't see me stand, sitting at the window watching him. And I see him messing with the doorknob. And then he went in. I heard two popping sounds. 
sound like little hmm. firecrackers or something. But I didn't know what it was. I was just four. I see him come out the door. He's got a white handkerchief in his hand. And he's wiping the doorknob. He turns to leave, and he's seen me. Huh. He's seen me looking at the window. He held his finger up to his mouth like, Shh. Yeah, like as it be like, be quiet. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so I did, you know. I didn't say nothing when my mom got up. I had forgot about it. You know, I probably was doing whatever else as a four-year-old playing. You know, I just seen him leave. He seen me. He held his finger up like, shh, be quiet, you know. And he left. Well, about, and this was uh, 8.30 in the morning, early, real early. About 12 noon rolled around, and the guy's mom would always come to get him to take him out to lunch. Right. Well, this woman pulls up. I didn't see her pull up, but she went in. Me and my mom's inside. All I know is all of a sudden we heard screaming. And we go to the door. My mom steps out on the porch. I follow her. And this woman comes outside, throws herself down on the sidewalk in the front yard of this neighbor guy's house. And is crying and throwing off a spit, hollering, my David, my David, oh, my God, my David. And my mom went to her and said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And, you know, she couldn't get hardly nothing out of her because the woman was in hysterics. And uh, so my mom came back in, got a couple pillows to put under the woman because she, you know, was scratching herself up on the sidewalk. And uh, my mom stepped in there to see what she's talking about. Then my mom come running out. And they uh, called the police. My mom did. Police show up, and they go inside. They find the guy, been shot twice in the head. And I'm standing there outside when they start bringing him out on the gurney. This, so, this is one of the people that witnessed something, right? Yes. He's okay. seen the lizard man the same night me and my mom did. And, uh, you know, they came by our house, and the guy couldn't do it. Maybe a new agent. I don't know. Didn't want to kill a kid. I don't know. I was just four years old. Well, you know, it, to let you know, a lot of the people I'd spoken to off, I do a lot of off podcast interviews. People don't want, they don't want to be known. And I hear a similar story. Uh, and to me, the impression I get from that is it's, it's psychological warfare, right? For you in particular and your mom, your kid, and she's a woman. Uh, we don't know what that guy next door was going to was saying and doing. Probably was calling news stations. Probably was in his mind. I mean, you, you don't know his drive. Might have want write a book about it. And in that era, in that timeline, right? Our government. If I say if they wanted you dead, you'd be dead. Oh yeah, right. So that being said, they clearly use fear tactics with you, right? right. The, uh, uh, some of the people I, I interviewed off podcast, uh, the Men in Black, are part of a psychological campaign. Right, their job is to go there and, and say things to you, and make you feel like don't speak about it. And then right. there's the other half of it where there's people that ostracize you. They, they 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 put you in a position to feel you know foolish for talking about it. Um, so if you think about you, you have uh, contact and you have now gentle, uh, people military coming there, and then you have men in black followed up, and someone actually dies. Yeah, there's there's different layers to that. Again, the guy next door more than likely was going to cut a deal with either a TV station or something. new. You couldn't you couldn't talk the guy out of it for you. Yeah, the fear worked. 
yeah. I yeah. think when you're on your your mom's praying, you're and you're a little kid, and so in his mind, like, well, this could be one part of a yeah. project. Let's yeah. see where this goes. Yeah, yeah. My mom promised the guy she would never mention it. Right. You know, she had to. Or he was going to kill her. You know, and and I know he was going to. But you got to keep in mind too, the government. Like one guy is getting killed because clearly he's never going to shut up, and who knows what extent he's going to. For there's, right. but in the same level, they're probably like, well, we can't kill everyone. Let's let's experiment with group be here these, these two let's see if we use these tactics does it silence them will this work for others in the future etc cetera, etc cetera. right um so that's to me it sounded like they were utilizing psychological warfare yeah because that was the early years you know right I mean, everything you know basically started 47 whenever with the roswell crash and they were still learning too right you know right but uh yeah they uh started bringing the gurney out my mom made me go back in but i went to the window and looked and I seen them putting him in the station wagon thing, you know. Right. And uh, so, you know, they're pretty vicious. And, uh, yeah, I've been through a lot. It's crazy stuff. So let's fast forward. Now you let's, – let's talk about your direct experience, the, the abduction. Right now, you didn't learn about this till, uh you were in regression, right? Uh, yeah, I remembered it back in 2008. 2008 before my regression right so oh. at said point part of your subconscious was starting to put things together with perhaps and some people don't realize this um to for me i'll give you an example yeah i had a memory as a, as a kid not long ago because i smelled something and yes. it and it triggered a memory exactly or you'd see something it trigger and, and some people chalk things up as deja vu etc but little things could trigger a memory that's in your subconscious yep. it, keep in mind our our brain is literally the the most Okay. well-built computer on the planet yeah, it's a computer right, right. to this day yeah. so it stores data um and if you consider like when you remember like let's say you want to remember going to the story mom you know you went there and you're working to re to reconstruct this image in your mind the right. data is there but the image isn't really pure yet and yeah. that's why some people could yeah. uh even eyewitnesses in in cases for murder they don't remember exactly right. what the guy was it could have been a white shirt with blue lines but in, they remembered green lines it's because you know roundabout what happened because of the data, the reconstruction where it gets tricky. Right. So in all right, 2008, you start having recall of this. Yes. I, as soon as I remembered one thing, it all come back. Right. I mean, it come like a boulder rolling down a hill. I started remembering everything. And I was sitting at home. It was September 15th. It was my mom's birthday. So I was sitting at home thinking about my mom. And I started thinking, you know, wait a minute. I remember that one time she sent me to the store to get her Pall Mall cigars with a note and 32 cents. And I thought, wait a minute. When me and the manager was there, he was walking out with me. A flying saucer flew by right in front of us, in front of the store, sideways. And we stepped outside, and then a convertible car pulled in. And some guy jumped up in the convertible and said, wow, did you guys see that? And it was almost dark, but it was still a hint of daylight. And so me and the manager pointed at it, and we said, yeah, there it is. We're still looking at it. And I looked up at the manager. I said, what is that? And he looked down at me. He said, I don't know, kid. And the guy in the car jumped up and goes, that's a flying saucer. <laughs> and, you know, to me, that was the first time I ever seen one. You know, when in 66 when I was 10 because I was so young when I seen the other one. I right. had forgotten all that when I was a kid, you know, between collar and books and whatever. I'd never even ever thought of that again. Right. And uh, 
So I was sitting at home thinking about my mom. It all started coming back to me. Then I started remembering more and more and more. So I jumped on my typewriter real quick, started typing it all down. But, yeah, in 66, it was actually July 25th, 1966, when my mom sent me to the store to get her a pack of Pall Mall with 32 cents on a note. And I went to the store. Manager gave me a cigarette. That's when we, you know, seen a flying saucer go by the window sideways. And that was only 30 feet off the ground in between the buildings. Right. And I know how crazy that sounds, but it was there. Yeah, but keep in mind, they're not, I say this to people a lot. People are hearing this, they're like, oh, there's no way. Yeah. Keep in mind when they're up in the sky moving at the rate of speed they're moving, there's no there's no sound wave broken. There's no air being disrupted. There, you know, you're not seeing, there's none of what we know as propulsion they're utilizing. So to go between buildings with relevant ease, yeah, probably not a big deal for them. Yeah, we're talking about te- technology. It's probably two thousand years above us, yeah. or better. Yeah, two thousand years ahead of us, or better. Yeah, and this thing comes sideways. It wasn't level when it came between the buildings. It was totally sideways, and you know we stepped out and watched it, and it was going toward Hebel Homes, and the guy in the car said, "Hey, kid, jump in. I'll give you a ride." I said, "No, that's okay. You know, I'll just walk because I'm not getting in a car with a stranger." I was just ten, and I didn't know who the heck it was. And so I started walking home, and instead of cutting through the school grass yard like I did on the way there, a shortcut, I was too scared. I stayed on the main road and went, made a left on Hebel Avenue, went back into Hebel Homes. And as I'm going into Hebel Homes, I'm looking above the trees because I am a little bit freaked out over what i just seen. Right. And I want to make sure I get home. And I'm looking above the trees, and I'm walking, and our roads are A through F Street. And I lived down by A Street where my friend Rita Farley lived. I lived right across the street from Rita Farley on A. And uh, so I'm on F Street. And I cut through a couple yards. I'm looking above the trees. I don't see nothing. I step on E Street. And just as I stepped on E Street, I thought I heard something call out my name. It whispered, Jimmy. But it was above me. So I stopped, I looked up, and this big, giant, round thing sitting right above me. It was right there. And at the moment, I wasn't thinking, you know, standing there looking up at it. I mean, directly above me. And I wasn't thinking. What time of day is this? Dust dark. Okay. Just just turned dark. I gotcha. was even, you know, just a couple minutes. I was supposed to be home before dark, but I didn't quite make it. But it just turned dark. Yeah, a lot of people ask me, they're like, well, why do people of abduction only, only get abducted at night mostly? And the answer is simple. They're an intelligent being. They realize that we go to sleep or we turn down at a certain hour. And to give them, you know, uh, it lowers their profile. Right. So it makes sense. I mean, that's that. always figure out what would we do? Humans, every operation right. we've done military-wise, yeah, that was it was nighttime. It was like uh, when we been uh, Osama bin Laden. Yep, we had to get stealth helicopters. We had to go nighttime. We had the guys trained for it. So anyhow, yeah, and uh, I almost forgot where I was. <laughs> uh, I was right above you, and you. Oh yeah, right. And uh, so the saucer sitting right above me, and at the moment I'm not thinking about what I just seen at the store because I'm so intrigued with what the heck is this right above my head. It was only 30 feet above my head, maybe 35 foot, right, resting on top of the trees. And I'm looking at it, and I see these round circles and lines and more circles on it. Some kind of... To the mic, Jim. 
some kind of uh, diagrams on it, just round circles and lines joining together. All of a sudden, I'm standing there. I hear a sound, a vacuum sound. The door in the center of it on the bottom started opening up in a spinning motion, like a four-part door opening up and retracting into the floor as it opened. All of a sudden, a blue beam shot down on me, and I leaned back a little. I don't know why. I guess the blue beam made it, but I leaned back, and I started floating up, and I only got to go like 40 feet at the most, and I'm inside this crap. I'm floating up, and, you know, on the way home, I could see where I lived. I was almost about to make it, and I'm floating up, and as I'm getting up, a little tree limb caught a hold of my glasses and knocked my glasses sideways on the left side of my face. I get up in the craft. I'm in a standing position. I look to my right, and there's a little railing around the center of where I floated up into, just a little metal railing, maybe two-foot-tall railing. I look to the right, and I see two grays. I turn my head to the left, and there's one gray. And they reach out with these plastic-looking, hockey-looking stick things and got a hold of my midsection and pulled me back to a table. That was behind. They pulled me over the railing and pulled me back to this table and then rolled it back into the craft. And, uh, you know, of course, while aboard, they keep you under somehow or something. Right. I so I was going to ask you, do you have motion of your, your the use of your limbs? No. I see. I, you know, I was just floating, and they floated me behind. You know, the table was behind me, the bed or whatever. Right. They floated me to it, and uh, there was two of them standing to my left, and I know there was three, and I knew it was behind me. I couldn't see it, but I knew it was Now, there. I hear that a lot, where yeah. they were there. Craft home where they feel the presence of it. Yeah, I knew he was there. And because uh, I seen three when I first entered the craft, then I only see the two beside me, but I could tell there was another one directly behind me. I mean, right behind me. I can't see it, but I know he's there. And the aliens were so close to me, the grace, three foot tall, big black eyes, just like you always hear, dressed in black. And uh, I hear them talking to each other. I ask, I'm trying to wiggle my face and my nose, trying to get my glasses to fall back on my face right. because they're bugging me. I'm 10 years old, and my glasses are bugging the heck out of me. And I heard the one gray ask the other gray, what's he doing? A moment later, the one behind me reached over me, behind me, and fixed my glasses. Sure did. It fixed my glasses. It knew what I was trying to do. And, you know, I only remember a few things while being aboard, but that's the first thing I remember. And then uh, I remember them putting a device against my nose, and I heard a crunching noise, and it made me pass out. Nasal implant, I guess. And, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot I remember of it, except for laying there and looking around, and everything looked sterile. 
There wasn't nothing laying nowhere. Everything was attached to the walls, the ceiling, or the floor. Now, do you remember seeing any like um like bolts or nuts or like like lines where they would put things in place or like even in the railing if the little details like maybe the construction of it? Well, uh, I mean, I, granted, now the frame of mind you're in because to me, we, yeah. what's happening is you're they put you in a, a state of a, hip, rela- a hypnotic state, right? Of some right. Kind. Yeah. So that being said, you're not having chemical reactions. You're not panicking. You're right. not moving. Right. Just but my you, eyes. You can make observation. Yes. Uh, yeah. So in observation, did you notice anything like paneling or like any kind of bolts? Like you know how? Yes. You've seen like in kitchens, like you work with Bobby. Yes. And you know when you go in a walk and you see the metal sheets on the wall, yes. And there's the rivets. Anything like that? Right. Well, what I did see is the very center of the floor. They had this big machine, and it was the big machine that the arm was hooked to that came over to me and pressed against the skin between your nostrils. Right. It pressed there, and I heard a crunching noise. So there's the big machine, and it looked like it was in the dead center of the craft. And uh, then I did notice, and I even told this on the air and under regression, I seen metal beams. Every six foot, I seen this metal beam protruding inward in the craft by about four inches. And these metal beams had holes in them, and they all joined together at the center in the roof. But I didn't see no rivets or bolts. But I seen these beams, and you could tell by looking at it that it was aluminum. I see. Yeah, real strong aluminum. And uh, But it was like every six or eight feet I seen a beam, and I looked up, and they all was joining right in the dead center, right above my head. So they were like like curved, like almost arched? Yeah, yes, they mm-hmm. were, exactly. And But I didn't see no bolts, no nothing. You know, that could be something to regulate. I mean, if I had to guess, some sort of field could be generated in there that may, maybe regulates, uh, I guess, to eliminate inertia. Yeah. Or if you're, I mean, that that's that's we could speculate about that all day. Yeah, stress. You yeah. know, on the the craft itself. Yeah, because but. if you consider like when they're, when they're moving, I I don't believe they're moving through air the way we move through air. No. I think they're they're utilizing some sort of frequency to, to alter push right everything out of the way. Right. So the gravity around it's actually not distorted. So that's why they don't have G force in there. But the, maybe that regulates something internalized. I mean, if you think about the way you're describing it, in my mind. I think about science classes where they have something similar to that. To so you have like a like a sound wave that you pass through it, and there's been videos where people have sound waves in, their, in this chamber, and you could see objects being moved like just by sound waves right. and, the, and the frequencies adapted to it. So right, we we could speculate about that all day. Yeah. Now the grays, um, I have a theory about them, which I'll share with you after. Okay. When looking at them, do they seem biological or, or is there the, the, the off chance that they're like, and consider this, when I say uh, uh, biological robot, right? Consider like a, an advanced robot that has biological material to, at the surface, right. but they probably have their consciousness uploaded, downloaded to the body itself. Right. Right. Because in, in, in a sense, it makes more, because I say this because it's what we would do. It's what humans would do. If we're going to explore another planet, if we had the resources and the technology, we're going to send our minds pre like an avatar per se. Right. So when you're you looking know. at them, what did you, did you get like a biological kind of feeling from, or, or did they seem non-biological? Uh, they seemed biological to me. Uh, I think the ones that took me, you know, I've heard there's a 
couple different kinds of grays, maybe three, whatever. You got your real grays and you got your clones. Right. The worker bees. Right. And the worker bees are the ones who took me. Okay. So but, they're smaller in stature, the, yes, the worker bees. Yeah, and the, 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 the ones that are biological taller. Are five foot. Right. The ones that took me are three foot, maybe three foot two at the most. Right. They look like they weigh probably 55 pounds at the most. I mean, they're real delicate. Well, of course. And, you know, keep in mind. Real delicate. Uh, we, we see this in our technology today. To be really strong doesn't mean a lot of mass, right? We could, like, we have carbon fiber pool cues now. They're really dense, really strong, right? So they're, they're stronger than wood. They won't break or chip. Wow. But they don't need a lot of mass to have that strength, and they don't need to be heavy to have that strength, right? Right. Uh, we have carbon fibers we use in a lot of materials these days, and it's because it's really strong, but it, it's, it can be thin. Right. So that being said, a smaller being that's constructed to be a biological robot would not need mass, doesn't need muscle, doesn't need definition. Right. But the big question is, did you see any expressions on their face? Uh, no. No, I didn't see no expressions on their face while aboard. Right. But a couple of days later, I did get an expression on one's face. Okay. Let's go to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you know, they had me for two days, the grays. I went back home. My mom had a police out looking for me. The police show up. They three. Well, you're, you're gone for three days, two, two days. Wow. Two days. Okay. And I can, I know what happened there too. Right. Uh, it took a while for it to come back to me. It come back, started as dreams and stuff. I thought, and I thought, wait a minute, that's something that really happened. You know, I can tell now, but, uh, we'll get into that later. Yep. But, uh. Yeah, I keep losing track of where I'm at because there's so much to this. Well, yeah, but, at set point, you're on this ship. Um, yeah, my mom had the police out looking for right, me. Right, right. They, they come in the living room. I'm sitting there, and they say, so tell me, kid, how old are you? I said, 10 and 3 quarter, because I was a kid. I couldn't wait to be 11, and they laughed about it. They said, so tell me, kid, where you been? I said, well, I went to the store to get my mom's cigarettes. You know, they're right there on the table. They looked at me. Three cops, Fairborn, Ohio. They looked at me. They said, yeah, but kid, you've been gone for two days. I looked at them. I said, well, as far as I know, I ain't been gone for two days. My mom just sent me to the store 20 minutes ago to get her cigarettes. And they walked back into the kitchen with my mom, and I heard them say, there's a lot of strange things been going on around here lately. Yep. You know, there's another incident. Uh, I was just reading about it in... I think it was Michigan where they were having the, the radar. Uh, the, so anyway, the people check radar for weather, picking up anomalies. Some like 300 plus people are seeing these objects out over the Great Lake. And uh, it seems to me there's a pattern like like in your area where this happened. Um, you're not yeah. the only person, obviously, right? right Other right. people have had experiences. Whether or not they speak about it, it's another, you know, it's another right. subject. But so the cops saying there's strange things happening of late there. Makes me wonder if there's been other cases reported privately. Oh, I'm sure of it. Uh, this was in 66. Right. Right by the base, Fairborn, Ohio, 200 feet from the base. Well, one day before all this happened to me, me and my friends were out riding our bicycles, and we noticed all these police officers talking to an old man. And this old man's pointing up in the sky, and it's daylight. And he's telling the police officers, don't you see them? They're right there. And it was in the path of the sun but me and my friends looked, and it seemed like now and then we could see something like a ball of light come out from the sun. 
you know, out of the path of the sun so we could actually see it. Right. And But the old man, he was seeing them. And the police officers, a couple of them said they thought they seen them, but they wasn't for sure, but there wasn't nothing they could do anyway. So there was a lot of reports going on in 1966 right by the base, a whole lot. And uh, so this happened to me. They had me for two days, brought me back. My mom had a police out looking for me. They come question me, all that. My mom looked at me like I was crazy. I'm looking at her like she's crazy because she said I was gone for two days. I sat on my bed thinking, you know, if I was, where the heck could I have been? I don't remember it, you know. Right. Had me confused. And uh, so a day goes by, and I get up the next day. It turns nighttime. And about 1230 at night, me and my mom were playing cards. And this is just two days later. And I, you know, in the same place I lived, down by A Street. And I go to the living room couch. She goes to the bathroom, takes a break. And I go to the living room couch looking out the window, just seeing if I see a car go up and down the road or whatever. And it was actually almost 2 in the morning. It was real, real late. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I thought I'd seen something sitting above the tree, directly across from me by a city building. And the moment I started thinking it, it started moving. And I well, now I know I see something. And... It's a flying saucer, about 27 foot wide, flat across the top. It was dark out, so I couldn't see what color it was. It didn't have no lights on it. And it's moving real slow, about maybe three mile an hour, real, real slow. And I'm watching it. It travels about 45, 50 foot, and it goes over top of my friend Rita Farley's house, who lives straight uh, diagonally from me on A Street. She lived the second house back. What time is this, you saying? Two in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning, okay. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there looking for cars. I didn't even see not one car, you know, the whole time my mom was in the bathroom. So my mom's in the bathroom. I'm sitting on the couch. I see this flying saucer. It goes over top of my friend Rita Farley's house. All of a sudden, it stopped. Then amber lights started circling the center brim of it. Hmm. A moment later, a blue beam shot down in the front yard from the center of the craft, all the way down in front of the Farley's house in their yard. While this is happening, the best of your, your recollection, um, there's trees around, right? Uh, only a few here and there, but none in the Farley's yard. Right. They had a few bushes near their front door. So you didn't see any of the shrubs or any anything, any foliage being disturbed? Right? Like, so you know how like, wind would blow through it? No. Nothing. No. Okay. No, because this thing was barely moving. It was only doing two, three mile an hour real slow till it got, you know, it didn't travel far from the time I spotted it to my friend Rita's house. Right. This blue beam shoots down the front yard. And I'm sitting there, and a second later, I see Mr. Farley come out on his porch. And he grabs a hold of a 4 by 4 post that's helped holding up a little overhang. He sticks his head out from under it. He sees it because the blue beam is, light, is lighting up his whole yard blue. And he sees it, and I see him. He's on his porch, and he's in boxer shorts. And a second later, I hear him say, because it's laid out. And I hear him say this, our windows are up, it's hot out, you know, no crime back then really in the Hubble Homes area. So we slept with our doors even unlocked at night and because we knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody in right. this area. And I hear him say, hey, honey, come here and look at this. I see Mrs. Farley come out on the porch. They step off the porch, and they're looking at it. 
I'm watching them. I see this thing, amber lights circling the center brim of it. The blue beams shoot down the front yard. They're standing in their yard looking at it. All of a sudden, I see two little things coming down out of the blue beam. But they're so little and so far away. You know, it's only 80 feet away or so. Right. Not 100, only 80 or less. They're right there, second house away. I see these two little things, and I can't make out what it is. They're so little, I can't comprehend. Well, what is that? Well, they see them, and they run back in and slam the door. And when they slammed the door, I heard my friend Rita scream. I heard, I could tell it's my friend Rita. She's 12. I know her for a year and a half. I heard her scream. They slammed the door. Everything got quiet. I didn't see nothing. Where the grays went, I seen them walk toward the corner of the house or whatever, but I never seen them go to the door. They shut the door, the Farleys did. And I'm sitting there. And I don't see nothing. I don't know where the two little things went. And I don't even know how Mr. Farley got outside. I didn't see the door open. But the next thing I see, I see Mr. Farley in the blue beam. And I see him floating up. I don't know where the heck he come from. I was sitting there watching the whole time. I have no idea where he All of a sudden, he was just there. I see Mr. Farley in the blue beam floating up. And he's laying on his back. He's looking directly up into craft. His arms are legs and his moving arms and legs are moving and he's hollering. And when my mom came out of the bathroom later, a few months later, she asked me, Did you hear somebody screaming? Sound like somebody falling off a ladder or something. Huh. I said, No, I didn't hear nothing. But I did. I was sitting there watching the whole thing. And uh, so I'm sitting there watching Mr. Farley float up into this craft. And I watch him until he's all the way in. And then a moment later, and I don't know where she come from. I didn't see the front door open. Of course, they did have a back door, too, because the whole house was theirs. I see my friend Rita in the blue beam. And she's being pulled up in the blue beam. and But she's standing up. She's in a standing position. And she's in a nightgown. And the blue beam's lighting her up real good. I'm looking right at her, and it looked like she was looking at me, but I wasn't for sure because it's nighttime. My curtains were open. We had a light on so she could probably see the silhouette of me, you know, and we knew each other good. And uh, she's standing up like in a frozen position, being pulled up in the craft. I watched her until I seen her feet go in last. You know, it sounds to me like when they, when the first time you were taken— Yes. And the time they're taken. Yeah, two this, days in between. Right. The state of your body prior to that is frozen. So perhaps this guy, he's on his back, you see him, right? Yeah. There's a good chance he saw what he saw, was in a state of panic, laid down, was trying to collect himself, and they took him in that state. The yeah. little girl probably was, what's going on? She stood up. They took right. her in that state. Just like when they had you in its brainship, you were standing. Yeah. Right? So yeah. there's a, a good chance that it's it puts you in a state of stasis, pulls you that way. Yeah. However you are at that moment. Right. I was 10, but I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I didn't even holler at my mom. I turned and looked at the bathroom and was going to say, hey, mom, come here and look at this. But I was so amazed at what I'm watching, I didn't want to take my eyes off of it. Right. And, I, you know, I was in shock maybe even. I don't know. But I'm watching all this. And then a moment later, I see Mrs. Sally, the mother, and the two five-year-olds 
a five-year-old girl, girl named Ann, a five-year-old boy named Billy, and they're being pulled up in the craft sideways. They're totally sideways, the mother in the middle, and the girl at the top and the boy at the bottom. All three sideways? All three of them so, at one time. when I hear that. And by themselves, the grays wasn't with them. Right. So when I'm hearing that, they're all sideways, like so, like laying down almost, yes, right? Yes. So it sounds like they got them. The mother probably in a state of panic got her children. Yes. Pulled in, they're laying in bed together, like trying to protect them. And they took them in that state. Yeah. They, that they were sideways. So again, the guy's on his back laying down. From what I'm seeing, he's in disbelief, lays down. The little girl in a state of panic. Yeah, they're taking them as they are. Yes. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, so if you consider all that's going on, all the cases I've read, this is, uh, I don't think walls matter to these things. No, I've heard they will go right through them. Yeah, because if you're changing, if you're changing the, the, uh, the, the, the space around you to maneuver, right? Imagine they could probably alter the particles and, and, and physical properties here to, uh, in, in our world. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, can't, I could only imagine. There's a video. Uh, I just watched this video for the first time. It was taken off. Uh, I forget where it was. Someone was recording a UFO over the water. It was military. Yeah. And it was going in the water and out of the water. Water was never being disturbed. Disturbed. No splashing, but it was going in and out of the water. And you oh. could hear the guy in the, in the, the making the video. It's obviously military saying splash. Uh, their word for that. Right. So the matter around it doesn't make a difference. And uh, if they're taking people from their homes and doors aren't being opened. Uh, they're disrupting something here in our, with our physics to do this, yeah. especially when you're hearing about people being taken and they're in a the state they were just as they were taken. They stayed that way upon transport. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I seen the reptilian in 1960 and then a couple months later, I was actually taken by the reptilians hmm. and they send the orb through the, my hallway and it come in my bedroom, lift me off my bed, took me through my window without breaking the window. My bed sheet got stuck in the window in the glass, melted with it. And they took me, the reptilians, they had me for about an hour and a half to the best of my knowledge. And the uh, men in black showed up the next morning and took my window to the base. So uh, yeah, they can break down matter and take things right through windows without right. breaking it in walls. Yeah, I've heard uh, Lester Velez uh, from the organization of uh, Opus, Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support, Lester Velez out near Dallas, Texas. Right. Uh, he told me about a guy who got taken through the side wall of his trailer, and his girlfriend sitting in the bed with him witnessed it. They didn't take her, and they didn't knock her out. Right. She was actually conscious while her boyfriend was being pulled out the wall of his trailer and taken. So she packed up and left, you know, he's yeah. never seen her again, <laughs> but they brought the guy back. But, uh, but yeah, they can, they can, uh, take people through walls. But yeah, I've seen my whole, the whole family, the Farley family, Rita Farley, Sally Farley, Fred Farley or Frank, I forget his name, the little boy, Billy, the little girl, Ann. As they're going up in the craft, the last thing I seen was Sally, the mother, turn her head, look down at her boy named Billy, and she hollered, hold on tight. I could hear it. My window was up. They was only 80 feet away, two in the morning. It was totally silent out. And I heard her holler, hold on tight. And uh, so I'm sitting there on the couch still. I don't see nothing. I don't see the Farleys. 
The craft is still sitting there with the blue beam and the yellow amber lights circling it. Then all of a sudden, out in the road, I see two kids. And I'm 10 years old. I'm looking. I'm thinking, who's them kids? What's kids doing out this late at 2 in the morning? And they're right out in the road by the Farley's house. And they're starting to walk up the road toward me looking out the window. But they got across Hebel Avenue to get to my yard. They were coming up the road, and I'm thinking, who in the heck are these two little kids? And they get by uh, Hebel Avenue, and the streetlight hit them, and I could see, that ain't kids. What is that? They got big white heads, big black eyes. They're only three feet tall, and they're dressed in black. All I can see is their feet, their hands, and their head. They come across Hebel Avenue, go down the ditch, up out of the ditch and into my yard. My yard was only 16 foot wide. You know, the place used to be barracks for right pat people. You right. Know, it looked almost like if you're watching the Gomer Pyle show, you know. And uh, they come up in my yard, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. They was looking right at me. I'm at the window. And they, they go against the building, and now I can't see them. So I take my head, and I press my face against the glass window, my living room window while I'm on the couch. I'm pressing real hard. I almost broke the glass. I was pressing so hard because <laughs> I was trying to see where the heck did they go. But I could not see them. I'm sitting there. My mom's in the bathroom waiting for her to come back out so we can finish playing blackjack and rummy. Two in the morning, probably 2.10 now. And I get the feeling something's looking at me i look up to the right and i seen something duck back from the roof's roof's edge but it ducked back so quick i couldn't tell what it was or anything but i knew i seen something i turned my head to the left the whole head of an alien gray leaning over the roof looking right at me and our roof overhang only stuck out 10 inches so it was hanging upside down right its head looking at me so when I turned and looked at it and seen it, I seen its mouth curled up like it was frowning, hmm. like it recognized me. Whether it seen an implant in me or what, but it recognized me. I seen it frown at me, but scared the crap out of me. I got off the couch. I started walking backwards into the kitchen. At that moment, my mom come out of the bathroom. She seen my eyes big. She seen me walking backwards. She gave out a little giggle. And then she said, Jimmy, why are your eyes so big? What'd you see? And like in a trance, I said, nothing. Hmm. And I'm still walking backwards. So she kind of laughs a little. She says, what are you doing? Why are you walking backwards? I said, nothing. Like they was controlling what I was in shock, I guess. And so she gave out a little giggle. We sat down, started playing cards again. And she just sat down. And within less than a minute, my mom jumps up out of her seat. And she goes, ow, oh, ow. I said, what? She goes, oh, ow. I said, what? And she pulls down her nightgown from around her shoulder. I get up, and there's a little triangle mark, skin missing. About three or four layers of skin missing at the base of her neck by the, her shoulder. And uh looked like layers of skin missing, but it was shaped like an arrowhead. Right. You know, kind of a triangle, but not a triangle. Arrowhead. And it was real, real small. 
you know, not even a quarter inch long, probably real, real small. And it was burning her. So she went to the bathroom, got a cold wash rag, come back out, put it on, sat down, and we started playing cards. Well, as soon as she sat down, we started playing cards again. Her sitting there with this washcloth on her sore, our whole kitchen yard, light window and yard lights up blue. That's because the saucer had left over top the Farley's house and came over our roof to pick up the two grays that were on our roof, the one that leaned over and looked at me. Huh. So while we're sitting there getting ready to play cars, the flying saucer is above our, and I'm in shock. I already forgot. As soon as I made eye contact with the one that leaned over and looked at me, it was almost in my living room. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was only two and a half feet from my face. You know? So and a couple of things. One, that family. Miss, did they ever come back? I've never seen them. So I don't know what the government did with them, but I know they was on the flying saucer that crashed right by right, Pat, behind Tatum Buick. I went there on my bicycle. Look, I seen all the damage. They seen me. Uh, one of the men in the parking lot pointed at me, said, hey, I bet that kid's seen something. I left the park. I seen the guy in a suit run, jump in a black car. I got halfway home. I looked over. There's gravel. I hear gravel and a car pulling over. He pulls over. He rolls down his window, and I see a man with sunglasses looking at me. They followed me home. And then when me and my mom went to the store later on, a day or so later, he went in our house and put bugs and had been listening to us. So you got you discovered that stuff? Yes. Okay. I, I found the bug later. So the family goes missing. What was the, the reaction in the neighborhood? Oh, people was freaking out. And there was a couple people that said, yeah, they seen a craft fly above Hamble Homes last night. And now the Farleys are gone. And the neighbor lady, Betty Lyle, she's passed away now, but I know exactly who it was. She didn't even knock. She come busting in our living room door. My mom's name is Edna. She goes, Edna, Edna. My mom said, oh, good Lord, what's wrong? She goes, she could tell she's in a panic. And uh, she goes, Edna, Edna, they're missing. They're missing. My mom said, who's missing? She said, the Farleys. And my mom said, which one? She said, all of them. Huh. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and I watched all of it. Right. So as but a kid, so... I didn't remember it. Right. I was going to say, so you, part of your recollection of that was wiped. Yes. As soon as I made eye contact with the one, I went in shock because, you know, I'd never seen nothing like that before. It was almost in my living room when it was hanging over the roof's edge. So you were, you were, in, a, you were in a catatonic state. It sounds to me like when you were a kid, you're walking backwards to the kitchen. What ended up happening is... uh. It's it's like you went to an, uh, an animated state in reverse. Right? Yeah, like, I was in shock. Yeah, so have I, you ever had? So have you ever had anyone like do a scan for the implant? Yes, I have. What were the results of that? Uh, they didn't see nothing. Right, and uh, it's something that uh, happened when I was probably twenty eight or thirty two. I got on a sneezing frenzy one time, and I something come out of my nose and it hit the sink in the bathroom. I heard it hit. Right, and I remember it. And I looked at it, and I, I picked it up, and whatever it was was real hard, real, real small, only half the size of a match head, real, real small. It was hard, but it had, like, skin around it, you know? So I thought, what the heck is that, you know? I didn't think nothing of it, and I threw it away. 
I wish I would have held no, on to yeah, it now, you know. It, it could have been like, again, if you're but, talking about something advanced using biological robots, they could have put a bio, something, which makes kind of sense if you get a CT scan. But then again, you got to scan. What year was it when you got scanned? Just two years ago. All right. So it's gone by that point. Yeah. They did an x-ray of my brain. Right. Yes. Okay. So let's move to this. Let's move to your second experience. You're abducted. Yes. Right. And so, so people listening know you had to, to, for you to recall this, you went through under a regression. Although you, some parts are coming back because of whatever it may be. Yes. You start going to regression. And I yes. saw some of the video of your regression, by the way. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I uh, actually remembered almost all of it on my own. Okay. But they used the regression to verify And it's what 2008 I when you started remembering, right? Yes. Now, so when I remembered it, I, I developed PTSD real bad. Yeah, I, it, I still have it. Of course, because I got to consider. Tell, I I get talking about this. I can't shut up. Yeah, because it's such a fascinating topic. Topic, and it happened to me. And I seen. You know, a lot of people are taken. I've been taken twice. Once by reptilians. Once by the greys. But how many people get to sit back and watch their neighbors being taken? Right. You know. So when I remember this in two thousand eight, it was like it just happened the night before. So. And all I knew is I've got to get a hold of somebody from MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. I've got to tell somebody. And I got a hold of Les Velez out in Northern California in Los Gatos. He was the uh, assistant uh, state director for right. the Northern, Cali- Northern MUFON area. And uh, I'm glad I got a hold of him because he's helped me for 13 years even though I haven't found a lot of proof because, you know, we're talking over 50 years ago. But I have run across one article that about a giant one dropping out of the sky. It's in my book, 90-foot-wide, uh, golden collar, men in black, pulled up right next to us on the highway. I was 10 years old, right, you know, a week or so later after the Farleys was taken. They already bugged our house. My mom had a couple friends of hers come by, wanted her to go to Dayton with her. So she said, come on, Jimmy, we're going to Dayton with my friends. We got in a Cadillac, brand new, 67 Cadillac. And we get in the car. We're in the back, me and my mom. Pat and Ed Grimes are uh, driving. They passed away now. And uh, Ed Grimes is driving. Patricia, his wife, is in the passenger seat. They call her Pat. We barely get out of Fairborn. We get out by Huffman Dam. This big, giant, round, gold ball dropped out of the sky. And me being 10, it was so big, I thought it was a planet. (laughs) You know? I never seen nothing that big before. And the driver, Ed, he put the car in reverse. It dropped out of the sky and sat only 40 feet above this bridge called Huffman Dam. Came to a dead stop. It was 90 feet wide, 220 foot in circumference. It was big. I mean, really big. And the driver put the car in reverse, backed up 200 feet or so, because it almost dropped right in front of us, you know. We went another 50 feet. It had been above us. So he puts the car in reverse. We back up. His wife, Patricia, says, my God, what is that? Ed Grimes said, I don't know, but it's not from around here. She goes, what do you mean? And me and my mom's in the back seat 
been in, toward the middle of the car looking out the windshield at it. It's 90 feet wide, pure gold. It looked like pure gold sitting in the sky. I mean, sitting still perfectly. We was looking at the bottom of it. Hmm. I didn't know about it when it first dropped out of the sky, but then I could tell. And uh, so we back up, and his wife says, you know, what do you mean it's not from around here? He goes, I mean, it's not from this world. And she said, what? And me and my mom, my mom leaned forward and said, remember, Pat, what I told you went over mine and Jimmy's roof just a week ago? That was after it took the Farleys and went toward the hall and stopped and went down. I went the next day on my bicycle because I knew it landed or crashed. I've seen it going down. Right. And I went behind Tayton Buick. I've seen all the damage. Cars, windshields busted, light posts broken in half. The corner of Tayton Buick was taken out, one of the buildings. There's men on top of the building hanging On this carts. trip you're talking about, were you leaving the area? Yes, I was uh, leaving uh, uh on my bicycle from right. looking for the flying saucer. Right, but when you're in the car with, with these... With, oh, yeah. yeah. So you're leaving the place you live to yes, go... To, yes. to go To like, Dayton. Right. So it seems maybe... Right by the base. It was right by the end of the runway. Where it's like they thing, disrupted your trip for a reason. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so we, you know, we, he backed up. We're sitting there. All of a sudden, Ed Grimes goes... There's a car coming up behind us, and he's really moving. And me and my mom, we didn't turn around to look to see the car coming, but he told his wife, this car is hauling butt, and it's doing 90 or 100 mile an hour coming up behind us. We're sitting still in a Cadillac. We right. ain't going nowhere because this thing's sitting in the path of us, only 40 feet above the ground. And I mean the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life in the sky, even to this day. Never seen nothing that big again. And uh, this black car pulls up, and I know exactly what it was. It was a 67 Ford Fairlane 500. Hmm. And uh, black car, two-door, tinted windows. It pulls up, locks them up. Two men jump out. One's on a radio, the driver. The other one, he gets out of his door and he's just standing up with his door wide open looking at this thing sitting in the sky. And the guy's on the radio. Me and Ed and everybody in the car is like, who's these people? You know, well, they must be important. They got a radio in their car. You know, it's 1966. I was 10 years old. And it was August 7th. And the newspaper article was in the paper August 9th. I have it in my book. And... uh it was two days later, the article come out telling about this thing dropping out of the sky and that, you know, Wright Pat would investigate it. And this black car pulls up. These men are looking at us. The passenger walks over to Ed and uh, asked him for his ID. So Ed started asking, well, who are you? And the guy pulled out a badge and showed him a badge and told him, I want to see your ID. He looked at Ed, Ed Grimes's ID Gave it back to him and uh, said, you just sit still. You sit here. Stay here. Don't you go nowhere. He walked back over to the car. The guy's still on the radio, the driver. And the passenger guy is talking to the guy on the radio. We don't know what they're saying. They're real close to us, but they're keeping it low. And a moment later, the guy on the passenger side walks back over. And he tells Ed, you just remember, 
don't you ever mention what you've seen out here on the highway today. Well, while we're sitting there and these guys are there, this gold ball starts tilting. And as it's tilting, the outer edges of it start glowing, pure plasma. So I got this gold-looking thing, and now the outer edges of it look like pure lightning bolt electric color, pure plasma energy. And it keeps tilting. And I'm, I'm talking a big-sized craft. It's tilting. Then all of a sudden, I could see a big, large dome on top of it. That's when I knew. That's a flying saucer. There ain't no planet, you know. And uh, that's when the guy walked over and told Ed, don't you ever mention what you've seen out here on the highway. You just remember, I looked at your eyes. So these guys, didn't, they didn't even seem concerned about it. They were like, what was their state? Like they seemed calm or rational? Yeah, they seemed calm. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, and this is at the end of the runway, the base runway. You can look to the right, and we was at the very end of the runway. Right pad is probably a two-mile skinny long base. Right. And it's not real wide either. Half mile wide, two miles long. Yeah, it said that it goes sublevels, a lot of sublevels. Oh, yes. Yeah, they got six, seven floors underground and tunnels running all over underneath Fairborn. Uh, I had people move out of the Hebel Homes area, move to a place called National Homes, uh, half mile away, and they told me they could hear semi-trucks under their houses driving. And digging going on. I mean, it's not impossible. We, 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 if you look at what the plans Elon Musk has about the underground, I mean, it did in any era. If you want a tunnel when you have the government's resources, easily done, right? Really easily done. Nothing to think about on it. So this this thing it falls to the ground, or or just below above the ground, right? And it's large gold has like a like a lightning slash plasma edge to it and then a dome on top of it. Yes. Per, that's and it's large. And as large as you're saying it, it could probably fit uh a numerous amount of the smaller ones in it. Yes. It was big. It has my key so keep in mind, doesn't matter how advanced technology is, mistakes are made. Otherwise like the, like I, I, I'm not gonna say there's more than ten, but the Roswell crash and some of the other crashes that you hear about. Yeah. It's still a, a being. It's yeah. not perfect, and there could be atmospheric uh, disturbances that cause it to have problems. And like you see, the energy dropped. If you consider something of that size, something altered in its ability to stay where it was. Right. Right. So that, uh, maybe it wasn't intentional that it fell that way. It right. could be that it was observing you. Because yeah, what I'm starting to learn with people of experience, abductees. Um, you know, I don't like the word victim. I won't ever use that. I, I feel that these people are not, it's, uh, how do you say it? Like, well, how we watch animals in the wild? We we put chips in them. Yeah. We do that now. Right. It used to be we just put tags on them. You might have been tagged, right? And right. And uh, other subjects are tagged. And then part of that experiment is, well, let's see how this uh, affects their social life. They're, so you're being watched. Yeah. And be, so the, the other part of that is you could still probably be being watched now. They, yeah. they would watch your, it's like National Geographic. You watch how these animals progress through their life. Right. Because I was 10 when I was on in the backseat of this Cadillac with my mom. Right. And uh, it was daylight. You know, it was almost dark, but it was still daylight. It was right at 7 p.m. It was almost dark, but not quite. Right. Well, this thing's tilt sideways. I can see that's a flying saucer. So the man walks back to the car. He's talking to the guy on radio. And then one last time he walks back over and tells Ed, okay, you can go. 
But you just remember what I said. Don't you ever mention what you've seen out here on the highway today. And he turns to walk away. He takes about five steps and he stops. He turned back around. And this ain't no crap. They done bugged my house. They done know when we went to bed and everything. He turned back around, and I'm behind Ed, so I'm right by the guy. My mom's behind Patricia on the passenger side, so I'm right beside the guy. He turns around, walks back over, kneels down, looks at me in the back seat, points at me, and goes, this is Jimmy, right? And he turned and walked away. Huh. And my mom, and so Ed puts the car in drive. He, we go. Patricia turns around and says, Edna, who is that guy? My mom said, I don't know. I've never seen him before in my life. And Patricia said, well, he knows who Jimmy is. This guy was walking back to the car and then stopped yes. dead in his tracks. And turned around because he recognized me. Or maybe he got a download. Well, Maybe the crowd's like, but you know, like, here's what I'm starting to learn, too. A lot of, I hear this from a lot of people of experience. Again. Yeah, he turned where, around and he recognized me. Right. He said, this is Jimmy, right? So if some people get phone calls in modern time. There's other people I know that had, a, like, you know, back in the day when they had a rotary call. And they'd pick the phone up. There'd be yeah. no one there. Yeah. And I think they uploaded download that way. You know, again, you got to consider, this is technology that out oh, yeah. thousands of years ahead of us, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now when this guy hits the brakes, turns around, recognizes you, points to you, or yes. says, that's Jimmy, then he walks away. Yes. Now the craft, is it gone at this point? Uh, Yes. Okay. It, it started moving before we left. It started moving real slow, and this is, is neat, too. It started moving real slow. Went from zero mile an hour to five mile an hour. Went from five mile an hour to 30. Went from 30 to down to a little dot so quick I could barely see it anymore. Right. It took off like Star Trek. No noise, no smoke, no disturbance of the clouds. No, no wind. No, 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 nothing. Huh. And so, I mean, uh, this thing was big. Did it change its, 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 uh, its how bright it was before doing this? Uh, eventually, as it was tilting, by the time it took off, the whole thing was pure plasma. Huh. Yeah, you couldn't see no gold no more. And I'm not kidding. It looked like the color of a lightning bolt. Pure plasma energy in the shape of a giant flying saucer sitting right in front of us. Like high frequency, high frequency vibrations disrupting the air, atomizing the air around it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But it went from gold to pure glowing white energy. So after this happens... What is what? What are the state of the people in the car? The Grimes. Okay. Well, we go down Springfield Avenue, and that puts us right down to where they was going, a doctor's office or something. And we go, and you know, we only it was another eight minute drive. We was almost there. You know, just is one of the first places as you enter Dayton. You know, real close. And uh, so my mom and Pat goes in. Me and Ed sitting in the car, and Ed Grimes says. Is it true that you and your mother seen a flying saucer go over your roof just a little over a week ago? And I said, yeah, it was almost rubbing our roof. But I didn't remember at the time the gray leaning over, seeing the Farleys. All I remembered was seeing the flying saucer from our kitchen window to the holiday in flashing star stopped, tilted, and went down. And what I'm thinking, now someone asked me, did I see a beam? 
from Wright Pat being shot at it and brought it down. No, I didn't see no beam. But what I think is Mr. Farley, he was a Christian man. He didn't drink. He didn't do nothing. And uh, I think he got a hold of one of the grays aboard the craft and maybe threw it, hit the one at the control panel or got a hold of the one at the control panel and they couldn't control it. And that's why I seen it all of a sudden stop, tilt and go down. But yeah, they, uh, OSI followed me home and a blue air force car with a two star general nine days after they seen me on the highway, bent down and said, this is Jimmy, Wright." Nine days had went by. Exactly. Me and my mom go to bed. I fall asleep. I mean, I just fell asleep. All of a sudden, I felt something pinch my left arm. It woke me up. I thought something bit me. So I wake up. I turn my head. I look at my left arm. It wasn't nothing that bit me. There was a needle in my arm. Huh. A needle. Ain't no crap. There's a needle in my arm. I'm 10 years old. In my left arm right there. And so I go to swing my feet off the bed. And I'm thinking, what's a needle doing in my arm? I turn to swing my feet off the bed to sit up to look at it. And before I could even do that, I see a man laying on the floor next to my bed. He was laying directly on the floor, and he was trying to squeeze up against my bed so I couldn't see him. But I did see him. Right. I drew back my breath, getting ready to holler for my mom. A second later, he's above me with a cloth rag, putting over my mouth and nose with chloroform, knocked me out. And then he finished injecting me with sodium pentothal. They, uh, the two-star general was in my mom's bedroom, shooting her in the arm. While the OSI agent, the man in black, was in my room shooting me in the arm. And I woke up when he first hit the needle in my arm. And I went to scream for my mom. He knocked me out with, so, with uh, chloroform. And uh, I know that's what it was. And then, uh, and then he finished injecting me. And then a moment later, I heard a voice say, Jimmy, why don't you come out here in the living room and join your mother? And my mind thought, okay. I got up out of bed, walked out to the living room. By now, the drug's working on me. I'm numb. You know, I feel like my whole body's been rubbed with aura gel. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. I'm serious. It was just a numbness all over my body. Sodium pentothal. And I walk out in the living room, and I see my mom by her bedroom door by the living room. Not in the living room yet, but by the living room. And I see the man in black in a suit walk over get my mom and he puts her in the middle of the living room and then he says jimmy comes over here and stand by your mother so i did and i see a man in a uniform and i see two stars on each shoulder and uh, he didn't have a hat on didn't wear glasses and i seen his name tag and I know what the name is to this day, the last name. And uh, it was a two-star general from Wright Pat. They were taking you for observation. Well, yes. You ain't going to believe what happened. 
But I was put under hypnosis for three hours, and it all came out. Exactly everything I've told investigators, I did it the same, told the same thing under hypnosis. And when they had me under hypnosis, the woman who put me under hypnosis, Kathleen Dean, uh, she's so good. When I was in the Hevel Homes and the reptilian landed on the ground, me and my mom stepped out. It had me under so good I could feel the ground under my feet. I didn't even believe it. That. Well, if you consider this, your brain. So when you touch stuff, yeah, it's just nerve endings sending messages to your brain. This is yeah. what you're doing. So if you're in a regression and you feel, you know, like you're there, yeah, the your brain's reconstructing that feeling, the scent, the scent, the taste, all of it. Yeah, every it was, bit of it. I could see it in my head. It was like a movie. Everything was coming back to me. You know, right. But yeah, I lost track again because I get sidetracked. Oh, it's okay. So they so they they come to your house. They have you and your mother. Oh, now yeah. they're they, more than likely, uh, from what I'm hearing anyway, from from what you're telling, it sounds like they're going to take you under observation for a period of time. Yeah. In during this observation, are they making any sort sort of threats, or are they you know are they posturing to you like you know maybe you shouldn't speak about this? Right. Well, we're standing in our living room, and you know I can't talk. Right. I can't move. Neither can my mom, but we're standing beside each other. There's a man in a suit and a man in a uniform from the base. You know, and of course, at that time, I didn't know who the guy in the suit was, but he's from the base also, man in black OSI, Office Special Investigations. And uh, we're standing there, and, you know, I know something's going on. It's supposed to be, but I can't do nothing about it. I can't talk. I can't move my legs. I can't think right. I can't do nothing. I'm just like a numb body standing there. Right. And so a few minutes go by and they take us outside. They put us in cars. They put me and my mom in the same car in the back seat of a black car with tinted windows. There's three cars, two in our yard, one parked out on the road. I think the one on the road was a dark blue Air Force car. They take me and my mom to the base. On the way to the base, the general decides, why are you going to all this much trouble? And the OSI agent, while driving down Broad Street, going to the light, make a left, go down one mile to the main entrance of the base, because where you live right by the base, the general goes, why are you going to all this much trouble? And the OSI agent driving said, what do you mean? The general said, well, why don't you just off them? And the OSI agent said, what do you mean? The general said, just just shoot him. Just shoot him. Pull over and just shoot him. You don't have to go through all that. And this whole time, you're in a catastrophic. You're in a cat. You're basically in a coma. Yes. Right? Just, you're, but you can see here. I can hear. Yes, and I okay. can see. But I can't do nothing. I can't run. I can't say anything. I'm like a robot. And... uh He's telling the OSI agent, just pull over and shoot him, and you don't have to go through all this. We get make a left at the light on the 235 off Broad Street. Oh, by the way, so people know, OSI was absorbed by the CIA. Right, that's, I, I'm pretty sure the CIA absorbed the OSI at some point. Uh, I don't know. I still hear about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a f- uh, facts of them are, are around somewhere, but I'm pretty certain they got a, uh, I think, in fact, most intelligence uh, answer to CIA including military intelligence and the OSI from what I remember, I think they were absorbed by it. I'm going to, I'm going to double check that, but I'm Maybe. somewhat sort of uh, certain of that. So yeah. this, at this period of time, they take you on base. You're there for how long? Uh, about two hours. Okay. On the way to the base, the OSI agent 
started slowing down, and he pulled over. The general turned around in his seat, his whole body, and stuck his gun to my head. And this ain't no crap. I was 10 years old. The two-star general stuck the gun to my head. And the OS agent said, you just remember, this is a new car, and you'll clean up the mess. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he just bought the car. It's brand new. And you'll clean up the mess. And so uh, the OS agent said, you know, you might uh, want to shoot the mother first. I remember the exact words. He said, you might want to shoot the mother first. The general said, why? The OS agent said, because if she sees her son's head being blowed off, she might come out of her state of hypnosis, and you may have a fight on your hands. So then he took the gun from my head and stuck it to my mom's head. And I could see it against my mom's head. Right. And he's got it right at the front of her head. And she's just sitting there with a smile on her face. And the general goes, I can't believe this. The OS agent said, can't believe what? The two-star general said, I can't believe I got my gun against this woman's head, and she's sitting there looking at me with that stupid look. <laughs> Them's the exact words. I swear to it. I remember every word. I was paying attention like you wouldn't believe. So finally, the OS agent told him, well, you know, what, who gives you the right to play God? No, we're going to do this my way. Put your gun away. They take us to the base. We go through the guard tower, and they have to stop. The guy in the guard tower with my peripheral vision, I can see him looking at me and my mom in the back seat. We're in our sleepers. And we're in a black car with tinted windows with this guy in a suit and a two-star general. So it had to look pretty odd. Right. You know? And then a, a Fairborn cop had seen them taking us, and he followed us. And as they got to the guard tower, the Fairborn police officer hit his lights on his car to let the OSI agent know that he knows they have us. He did it for our protection, the Fairborn police officer. He seen what was going on, couldn't do nothing about it, you know, even was talking to him. I seen him talking to him. He pulled his gun out on him, and uh, the agent said, if you shoot me, I guarantee you're a dead man because all my men have guns, and if you shoot me, you're a dead man. He throwed his ID on the cop car. The cop was looking at it with his gun out and holding on him because, what are you doing with this woman and kid? And so he was there when they put us in the car, but he couldn't stop him. But he did follow us to the base, but he was a little bit behind us. Right. He wasn't, you know, behind us when they pulled over and put the gun to our head. But he had caught up with us and seen us at the guard tower on the base at the entrance. So he hit his lights on the top of his car to let the driver of the car I was in know that, hey, I know you got him, you know? Right. So he did that prior to them getting into a jurisdiction he couldn't go into. Right. And uh, so this guy in the guard tower, you know, was checking his ID, and the guy in the driving, the OS agent said, tell him, hurry up, do your job, hurry up, I'm in a hurry. And so we go on down the road. You know, he gets clearance. Okay, you can go. We start going. We get to a stop sign, we make a left. We go just a little ways, we make a right. And at this time, he's on his radio. And I hear him talking to somebody. He's telling them, get it there. I don't care what you got to do, you get it there. And my ETA is five minutes. And so I'm listening to everything. 
And I'm looking at everything because I'm trying to plan in my head, you know, me and my mom, we got to escape. You know, where are they taking us? You know, but we can't do nothing about it. But I was already thinking, how can I protect my mom, you know, and and get us out of here? And uh, so eventually I forced myself. I was trying to lean against the side door window, but I couldn't do it. So finally, in my mind, I thought, throw your weight. So I threw my weight of my body over to the back door, and I laid my head against the glass window of the door. I'm looking out the window. We make a right, and I see the street sign. It said, I. We made a left. I see the street sign, J. The next street, we go around a corner. I'm looking at the street signs, K. Then I see L. Then I see M. That was the last letter I seen, M. We made a right. We pulled in the second driveway to the left, a brick red, a red brick building, uh, looked like a two story. And, uh, they pulled in, got us out of the cars, walked us inside. And this room is, uh, separated by a wall where there's a backside of the building. You know, there's a door in there that where you can go into the other half of the building. But in the room we walked into, there's metal chairs, and there's a tinted window. I don't know if it was a tinted window or one-way glass or what. And they have me sit in the front corner chair. There's two empty chairs. My mom's in the next chair. So they had a couple cha- empty chairs in between us. So I'm in there on the base, me and my mom, sitting in these metal chairs, and there's three or four agents in there and the two-star general, and he's still on his radio, and I can hear him telling them where he's at. Well, I'm at building such and such on Elm Street, and I can remember Elm Street. And I've seen a number on the building next door, too, a five and a three, but I don't know if it was 53 or 35, but I've seen a five and a three, and the way I remembered that while they was taking us in, my brother was born in 53. So all them years, I locked all that in my memory. And uh, so we're sitting in these metal chairs. Well, evidently, then I heard somebody come in the back door of the back side of the building. We're sitting in the front part of the building, and there's a door separating the two rooms. Well, I hear some commotion going on in there. And I see the OS agent walk through the door. He's back there a couple minutes. And the general, he leaves the room. There's still a couple men there with me and my mom. Men in suits, wearing sunglasses. Actually, I've seen one of them take their sunglasses off, lay in the metal chair behind me with my peripheral vision. I could see him lay his glasses there. And uh, so they uh, come back in the room and tell the other agent standing by me, okay, we're ready. And me and my mom sitting there. They dim the lights almost all the way off. They have these two little chrome lights, floodlights, one in this corner shining on me, another floodlight over there shining on my mom. And I'm sitting there, and through the door right to my left, only eight feet away, comes the general. And he's got a dolly. A dolly like you would move a refrigerator on. Right. 
on this dolly, they have strapped down a gray alien. Hmm. Now, they kidnapped me and my mom because of things we've seen, but yet they're going to bring a gray alien right in front of us to use it to erase our memory. They bring this gray alien in the room, and I see it. And the OS agent walks over to me. He says, Jimmy. Oh, well, before they brought it in the room, he did come over to me. He said, Jimmy, I'm going to bring a little friend of mine in the room. And although he looks a little different, it's okay. Don't be afraid of him, okay? I said, okay. That's when the general comes through the door with the dolly with the gray strap to it. And this is 1966 on Wright Pat property. And uh, then he comes over to me again after I initially see it. And it's, you know, eight feet away. The general's holding onto a dolly with it strapped. And it looked up at the general. And the general said, quit looking at me. And it looked up at him again. And the general hit it with a stick. When it looked up at him, did it look at him with a facial expression? Just did only the head turn or did it have facial expressions? Yeah, I just seen his head turn and look up at him. And he told it to quit looking at him. And it did for a second. Then it turned and looked up at him again. And that's when he got mad and hit it. So he's worried that it's going to do something to his mind. Yes. So it's forward projecting whatever it's doing. Because he wasn't wearing those sunglasses. Gotcha. All the agents had sunglasses. This general, he did not have no sun. So they probably told him, don't look at it directly in the eyes. Right. You know, it only takes a second you do that, and they got control of you. I already know that. And uh, so he comes back over to me, and he says, Jimmy, I'm going to bring my friend a little closer, and it's okay. Don't be afraid of him, okay? I said, okay. The general rolls the dolly up in front of me, this gray alien strapped to it. The agent is standing right there with me. He goes, now, Jimmy, my little friend here is going to hold your head, and he's going to put his forehead against your forehead, okay? I said, okay. I'm just a 10-year-old kid. I said, okay. And the gray alien grabbed, took both his hands, held my face, and before it put his forehead against my forehead, the man in black, the OSI agent in the suit, looked at it. He said, you make that kid forget everything he's seen that he shouldn't have seen. You know what I mean. And I've seen it bow its head. And it turned back to me, already still holding my face, while the agent's telling it, you make that kid forget everything he's seen. And the agent said, you know what I mean. The gray alien turned back to me, put his forehead against my forehead. It had his forehead against me for about five minutes. And uh, before it left me, well, uh, there's something else happened, but I can't say it on the air. I'll, gotcha. t- I'll tell you yeah, personally. Yeah. But, yeah, there's something really, really bad happened at the base. And I tell it under hypnosis, but I can't tell it on the air no more. But, uh this gray aliens erasing my memory and then they take it from me. But before it left me, it told me that the general is a real bad man. And I don't know if I said, yeah, I know. I don't know, you know, telepathically if I told it that, but it told me that he is the evil man. 
and because of what he did right. that I can't talk about. And uh, it said to me, right before it left me, when it was totally done, it said, when I expire, you will remember. Huh. 43 years passed by, and then in 2008, it all come back to me. Uh, yeah, they took the gray alien, put it from my mom. It was in front. So of So that thing like, died on that base. Yes. Right. So it, it is probably one of many it has. Yes. Um, I don't think that the sophisticated intelligence would do a trade system with us. Those are definitely crashed and recovered. Yes. There were three grays aboard the craft that took me. Right. And it was the very same craft that took the Farleys. So I know there was three grays aboard that craft. Right, right. So they got their hands on, on some form of tech. Oh, yeah, they got the saucer and everything. And check this out. They take us back home. We're standing in our living room. They're getting ready to leave. The Fairborn police officer sticks his head in our living room door and looks at us to make sure we're okay and we're standing there. I seen him. Right. Even though I couldn't talk, I seen him stick his head in and look at us. And he was scared to do that because the agent's right there and they don't, he didn't trust him. And uh, the agent said, you're going to hear my car horn beep twice. When you hear it, you'll each go back to your separate beds, go back to sleep, and when you wake up, you will not remember anything. We went to our separate beds, got up the next day, probably 10 a.m., and we was tired, and we couldn't figure out why are we so tired. And then on the news at 12 noon, there was a lady on there, telling about something about what happened at the base because a certain person didn't ever come home. But that's all I can say about that. But uh, we, we forgot about it, you know. And then a couple of days later, a police officer come by our living room door, knocked on our door. My mom opened up the door, and he's asking my mom, you know, have you seen any strange vehicles in the area lately? We got a report there's been some strange people driving in the area. My mom said, well, no, not that I know of. He come by to check to see if we remembered anything, and we didn't remember nothing. Did you ever have contact with that cop again after that? No. No? Okay. No, he come, and when he was talking to my mom, you could see he kept looking around behind his shoulder and stuff, looking. Right. He, I could tell he's thinking someone's watching him. But, you know, when the gray alien leaned over the roof after it took the Farley's, I went into shock, and I didn't remember none of this. So people that are listening to re to recall, though 2008 comes around, you start remembering things. It's regression that brings the detail out because you remember things are happening, and then you seek out help to, to get to the bottom of yeah. what are these things I'm seeing and, and remembering. Right, but you wouldn't believe I remembered almost all the details that I'm telling. Right. It only brought out a couple things I didn't remember and nothing really significant. I When my memory came back, when that gray alien died and my memory came back, it all rolled in my head like a boulder coming down a hill. I, I have a, a, my son at the time was 35. I didn't say nothing to him. I went, cause I knew he wouldn't believe it. Right. I went to my bedroom, sat down on my typewriter and I started typing out what I remembered. And I've been involved with this now for 13, 14 years, less but less, from the Mutual UFO Network. He's stuck by my side all these years because he could tell I was telling the truth. Right. 
And, you know, I have a little evidence, but not much. You know, nothing real hard. I have a scar on my ankle where the reptilians took a piece of vein out of my ankle when I was four. When they sent the orb into my bedroom, took me through my bedroom window. They had me for an hour and a half. They took a piece of vein out of my ankle. I've seen it wiggling on the hemostats. And uh, they brought me back through my window with the orb, put me back in my bed. So I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. And, you know, if someone tells me now, oh, you know, we always heard right past got something, but they don't. Hey, I know it for a fact. Right. It held my head and put its forehead against me and erased my memory. And that ain't no crap. Well, before we close out here, the name of the uh, the name of the documentary coming out is Alien Experiencers. Yeah. Yes, and okay. it should be out in four to six months. Okay, and then you have a book as well. Are you going to publish? I'm trying to get it done right now. Uh, uh, I know your listeners have probably heard of Terry Lovelace, right? And of course, people know who Nick Pope is, right? Now, I've talked to Linda Moulton House several times, but uh, this documentary we have Jim Mars on it. Lester Velez from the Mutual UFO Network, Nick Pope, Jim Mars, and uh, Terry Lovelace. Yep. And I've talked to Terry. I know Terry pretty good. I've talked to him over Zoom meetings and stuff. And he's on the documentary. And I've heard him do shows with Heather Way, Tim Weisberg, and so have I. You know, we got us, we're a five or six little group here, and we got on the radio show lester velez got me on i got sharon on sharon got someone else on and we had it rolling there for about a year we was doing right. radio shows all the time and uh i just want to tell the truth i want to tell everybody what's going on you know there are extraterrestrials out there and right pat is knee deep in it yeah well of course anything anything that's coming to this planet whether we acknowledge it or not our government, they, there's a role. They know. They know more than what they're going to let on, and there's a lot. I mean, there's tremendous reasons why. There's still yeah. organized religion. There's still people that are going to push back on it. It's it's inevitable there's going to be problems with the mass of people, but eventually it'll come to light. Right, and now you know they admit about the gimbal and the, you know, what the Yeah, the go recorded. fast, the tic-tac, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why we have the aerial task force now, you know, the space force and all. Yep. So, you yep. know, uh they're they're slowly admitting things, but they still don't like to call them UFOs. Yeah, UAPs, whatever they're gonna right. do, whatever makes it them feel better anyway. Right. Anyhow, Jim, I'm gonna talk to Jim and Post. Anyone listening, have a good day, good evening, good night, whatever it is for you, and uh, we'll see you again soon.